Hey guys, welcome back to another Vine Church podcast. It's Stephanie here. Last weekend, Pastor Ray started a brand new series called Mere Christianity. I pray that as you listen to this message that it refreshes and edifies you for the rest of your week. Thanks for tuning in and remember to just keep coming back. Of what is 
mere Christianity. Now, I know I borrowed this name. This is a book by one of my favorite authors, uh, C.S. Lewis, and, and I borrowed this name from him, and, and I'm not really going to copy from his book. I just like the title, Mere Christianity, because it symbolizes that this is something simple, it's something, it's something easy, and it's something light, and that's what the Christian faith is meant to look like. Now, it's not always easy. It's not always light, and, and, and easy and light is not the absence of problems. How many of you guys know that Paul wrote from jail that he rejoices, and so he was having ease and lightness in jail so he could go through those things, but that the Christian faith is about us living a life that is easy with Christ Jesus, taking joy in Christ Jesus, rejoicing in him above all things. How many of you guys believe that? Amen? So, so I want you to do something. Take out your notebooks because I'm going to cover a lot of verses. If you, if you take notes on your phone, take out your phones. Don't go on WhatsApp or, or iMessage or the internet. Don't check any scores this morning. I want you to just take out your phone and take out your notebook because we're going to do a lot in a little bit. And so we got to make sure that we're on. Amen? How many of you guys are with me? Amen. All right, so let's pray for the message. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let's jump into this. I'm excited. I hope that you are excited as well. Jesus, um, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time that we have, that we share. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would encourage us, that you would shape us, that you would treat us and transform us. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that this word comes to encounter our hearts, God. That, Jesus, we would have hearts that are like fertile soil, like good soil, Jesus, where the seed falls and bears fruit, Jesus. I just pray, open it up, Jesus. Use my life, Jesus. I just pray right now, Jesus, use my words, Jesus, to express what you have for us this morning. In your holy name, I pray. And everybody says, amen. Actually, can we do one more thing? Can you just extend your hands towards me right now? You guys pray for me. Pray for my health. Pray for, for me to be able to get through this um, in, in one piece. Amen, guys. Can you guys do that right now? Jesus, I pray for my health right now. I pray that I'm able to deliver this message with grace and with truth, Jesus. That, Jesus, um, nothing may stop your message from coming through, Jesus. Even my health. I pray that your by your blood, by your stripes, by, Jesus, your body, I have healing. So I receive it in your holy name. And I receive the prayer of the church. In your holy name we pray. Everybody says? Amen. Everybody says? Amen. Come on, I'm excited. I'm happy. I don't know about you, but I'll, I'll be happy for you this morning. Amen. So, what is Christianity? What is the church? That's the question that we're going to be going after in these few uh, these few next weeks, these next few weeks. And if we're, lo if we're looking up the church in the dictionary, we might see that the church is a building. We might see an image of a church. We might see a place designed for public worship. We might see a place that is a definition of, of a location. That's what church means to most of the people outside of these four walls. Outside of the church, many people, even people within the church, think that you go to church. And that the, the concept of church is a place that you go to, a place that you participate in. But, but the reality is the church was never meant to be a location, a building, a cathedral, or a synagogue. The place of the church was actually meant to be a gathering of the saints. In the Bible, the, the word for church that is used is the word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. And the word ecclesia, it means an assembly, a gathering of those who were called, essentially, those who have a calling on their lives. So the ecclesia is the gathering, pay attention, it's the gathering of the saints. It's the gathering of believers. And so I want to tell you this morning, if you gather in a home, that's church. I want to tell you this morning, if you gather with your spouse this morning and you two pray, 
That's the church. Are you guys with me? If you gather as a family and you pray, I want to tell you something. That's the church. Are you guys with me? This building is not the church. You are the church. Everybody say this right now. Say, I am the church. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are the church. We are the body of Christ. Are you guys with me? And it's interesting. Each church has its competencies. Each church has its values. Each church has its distinctives. As fine church, we have our competencies. We have our distinctives. We have things that distinguish us from any other church. And despite the challenges that we face, we have to understand something. The church of Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. But actually, the church of Jesus Christ will only grow and expand and take territory in the spiritual realm. But you might say to me, what is the purpose of this thing? Why am I showing up every Sunday? Let's get practical and real and simple. Why am I showing up every Sunday? Why do I need to go to the building? Why do I need to gather with the saints? Why do I need to be with my brothers and sisters? Why do I need to do this Christian thing and be part of this Christianity thing, which I don't even like as a title, and be part of this, this body and go to these services? Why must I do that? Why did God design this gathering? I want to tell you something right off the bat. The church is not my idea. The church was not designed by Ray. I want to tell you something right off the bat. The church was designed by Jesus Christ. And the distinguishing factors of the church and how the church is was created by Jesus Christ himself and God himself. He's the one who created the church. So why is it important for this gathering? Why is it important for people to come together? What is it important for us to understand that you have a purpose in your life and that your purpose in life cannot be fulfilled alone? How many of you guys are with me right now? Your purpose in life cannot be fulfilled alone. Turn to the person next to you right now and say, I need you. Tell the person right now, say, I need you. We cannot fulfill our purpose nor our calling alone, guys. Our purpose and our calling needs to be fulfilled with others. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three D's. Everybody say three D's. Three D's of the capital C. So if you're taking notes, this is what I'm going to be talking about this morning. The three D's of the capital C. And I hope that this would explain something and reveal something to your heart and hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit would encourage you this morning. So let's talk about the three D's of the capital C. Here are the three D's. I want to start off by telling you what the three D's are going to consist of. The first D is that it's going to consist of the word devotion. I want to tell you something here this morning. That church is all about devotion. Church is all about devotion. Church is about having a, a devotion in your life. And church is about having devotion to three things. And so I'm going to tell you three devotions that church is about. And I'm going to start with the first devotion, which is this. The devotion to God. Church is first and primarily about, guys, devotion to God. Church is first and primarily about us gathering to God. I want to tell you something this morning. Um, I love it when we have a full house. I love it when people come. And I love to create an atmosphere that a first-time guest can come in and say, wow, the Holy Spirit is moving. He is living and active. But I want to tell you something that might be a little controversial. We do not prepare this service for you. We, we do this service and we make it comfortable for anybody to walk in. But I want 
to tell you something, and I'm going to get on this a little bit later, but, but I want to tell you something right now, that our service needs to be first and primarily to God. That we are here to give a service unto Christ. I know that you felt good when we were worshiping. I know that while we were worshiping, the Holy Spirit was ministering to you. But I want to tell you, these songs are not for you. These songs are for God. I want to tell you something. When we sing, we're not singing for us to feel good. And this is a common misconception. We are singing because we've encountered the true living God who is able, who is strong, who is mighty, who is beyond all things. And what we do is we show up saying, God, we want to give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the worship. As Vine Church, one of our priorities will not be to make services so that it's simply accessible by the first-time guest, but it is to make a service that the Lord himself would like to be present at. So many churches, and this is not any shade or anything like that, so many churches, they, they, they cut what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in exchange for being something accessible. But let me tell you, there is nothing more accessible than the presence and the power of God. Listen, we're respectful. We want to be honoring. We, want, we don't want to be overly uh, mystical and weird, but let me tell you something that we will be. We will be those who listen and follow the lead of Jesus Christ. And if sometimes that means that we will be a little weird, then so be it. We will be a little weird for the honor of Jesus Christ. You know, it, it's a little weird. Acts chapter 2, when everybody's speaking in tongues and everybody thinks everybody is drunk, it's a little weird. But guess what? That was what caused an explosive growth in the first church. It was what caused the, the church to Bro, listen, it might get a little weird. You might be a little weirded out, but I promise you, just like me, I thought all of this was kind of weird. But I said, God, if this is from you, then I open up my heart. I tell you right now, if you would say, God, this is a little weird. It's out of my comfort zone. But God, if it's from you, I open up my heart. I can guarantee you, you'll look a little weird in a few weeks also. Are you guys with me this morning? So our church is about being devoted to God. I've preached message and message and message about this. I, I, I've talked about this consistently, the key of David, the priority of our lives, the presence of God being the center. But I want you to understand that the church is primarily about us gathering around Jesus Christ. That's what the Capital C Church is first about. It's not about multitudes. It's not about gatherings. Actually, Jesus consistently had multitudes and gatherings in his life, and he would do some weird stuff. And I don't know why he would do this, but he would do some weird stuff. The multitudes and gatherings would disappear, and he would say, now I'm speaking to my people. I want to tell you right now, I love the multitudes. I love the gatherings. I believe in a church that's going to grow and expand. Soon we're going to have more than one service. Soon we're going to be going into other cities in the next few years. We're going to be lifting up pastors. But here's the reality that I want you to understand. Our growth, our, our understanding, this thing, formatting this thing is not our center. Our center is the presence and life of Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me? So we want to live our lives in this way. And we want to minister to the Lord. We want to value relationship above religion. I know this is played out entire, but we want to value relationship over religion. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has done for you already. It's not about us doing things for God. It's about us ministering and loving unto God. Are there any believers here that are called into a relationship with the Lord and are grateful that you're not called just to do, you're called to relate with the Lord, amen? Listen, the Lord is what brings us peace and purpose in this life. 
C.S. Lewis, he makes a quote that I've, I've shared many times, and I love this quote. It's probably one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis, and he says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Come on, I want, to, I want you to read this with me. If I find itself my, my, myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I, know, I don't know about you, but I've had my share of moments, and I've had my friends with their share of moments, where we were looking for things and not finding satisfaction. We wouldn't find satisfaction at the end of the bottle. We couldn't find satisfaction in friendships or connections only. We only found an explanation in the thing that could satisfy us, which was Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you guys are with me? And I want to be real with you guys. I want to be very honest and, 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 and blunt with you guys. You know, sometimes we question God. And, and it's okay to question God. Like God is not distant from us because of our questions. Sometimes we look around the world and we wonder, where is God? Does God exist? We, we, we wonder, is God on our side? Is God really for me? Am I really in the center of my calling and my purpose? Am I really doing what God has told me? Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're going through it. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're wrestling. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're feeling like you've lost. Maybe you're feeling burnt out. I want to tell you right now that the Lord is faithful and good to take care of us in every moment. If we would open up our hearts to the Lord, the Lord would take care of us. Come on, look, look at this passage. I love this verse. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. The Bible is so clear. If we wait on God, he would renew our strength. How many of you felt like giving up before? Anybody in this room felt like giving up before? How many of you guys ever felt like throwing in? Listen, how many of you guys ever felt like you were burnt out and, and just tired and exhausted and you lost hope in the church and you lost hope in people and you just kind of want to do your own thing because you've played this message before, you've played this game before and nothing has come out of it and now you just feel like throwing in the towel. You know what's wonderful about the scriptures? The Bible says if we would wait on the Lord that he is faithful to renew our strength. I want to tell you, if God has called you, he is faithful to fulfill what he has promised to you. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, 10, it says this, Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Come on, look what it says. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Isn't it good this morning to know that Jesus is upholding us? That when we feel like giving up, he's the one holding us. He's the one who is strengthening us. Isn't it good to know that? Amen. Look what it says in Psalms, chapter 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, all you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. When you feel like the world is caving in and closing in, when you look around and you see the tragedies and you see the, the pain and the suffering, you see what happened in Texas and, and in Buffalo and, and, and in California, and you see what is happening all around us, you see these terrible things occurring around the world, and it just feels like the world is caving in. Where is God when all of this is happening? What is going on in our world? How can I have trust? Isn't it a great message to understand that if we trust in the Lord, 
Lord that God is our refuge. He's our hiding place. He's the place that, that stays. I love the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, he, he says this. Um, he writes a book, a book called Lamentations. And Lamentations um, is a book about crying. And Jeremiah is known as the crying prophet. Um, he's known as the prophet who cried his whole life. He, he wrote his entire book. The book of Lamentations is a book of crying. It's a book of pain. It's a book of suffering. Uh, don't read Lamentations if you're down. <laughs> because all you're going to find is more down words. But it's, but it's a beautiful image to understand something. And, and in Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah, look what he writes. I'm, I'm going to translate it in the language of today. I'm going to translate it in my version of, of um, Lamentations chapter 3. Can you guys be patient and understand my, my version of it? Lamentations 3. Jeremiah says this. He says, people suck. <laughs> That's how he would say it. That's how he started. My version. My version of the Bible, he starts off by saying, people suck. <laughs> people suck. That's how he would have said it. He, he basically says, life isn't fair. He says, my body is wrecked. I'm exhausted. He says this. He says, I can't sleep. I'm broke. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, and God doesn't seem to care. That's my translation of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 19. He's, he's, he's crying out. Uh, Jeremiah is crying out, and he's, and he's saying this. He's saying, look, people suck. I don't have money. I, my body is exhausted. I'm broke. I'm tired. I don't know what to do. I'm filled with anxiety. I'm filled with depression. I'm not doing too well. And he says, where is God in all of this? Now, I promise the Bible is going to present this in a translation that's going to be much more Bible-y. Um, but, but this is my translation for us. And this is what happens. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Jeremiah, he, he, he speaks all of this. And then he says this, Lamentations 3.19. Can you put that up for me, Alpha? Lamentations 3.19. This is what he says. The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. Go to verse 20. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends, and his mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each and every morning. I love this, because the, uh, Jeremiah is writing, he's saying, look, things are happening in my world that are terrible. Things are occurring around me that are beyond my understanding and my capacity. I cry because I look at what is happening around me. I am suffering. I am in pain. I am anxiety and worry and stress. But then he says this. He says, even though my soul is downcast, even though I am lost, even though I, I, I am broken, he says this, I will call to mind what gives me hope. And the hope that he has is in the mercy of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning, you know what the hope of the world is? You know what the hope of the church is? That even when things are falling apart around us and it feels like we've made mistakes beyond our, our recovery, it feels like things are not fixable, God steps in and he says, my mercies renew every single morning over your life. My mercies are good for you. My mercies are fresh for you. You 
you've made mistakes, it's okay. Because just as the sun rose this morning, my mercies are rising this morning as well. And as long as the sun is up in the sky, my mercies are fresh for you. I want to tell you, as long as you wake up the next day and you see the sun, there is fresh mercy for you. There is fresh grace for you. There is a fresh anointing for you. Your story is not over. The chapter is not closed. And there is more for your life. Somebody this morning needs to hear this. There is more for your life. The story is not over. The, you, everything might have fallen apart around you. You might be thinking, where is God? But the story is not over yet. Turn to somebody and say, the story is not over. The story is not over. See, we are the people who trust in the Lord. We are the people who understand we are the people of devotion to God. But why do we have devotion to God? We have devotion to God because he is a just God, he is a graceful God, and he is a merciful God. He is a graceful God, he is a just God, he is a merciful God. You know what justice is? Justice is when you get what you deserve. You know what grace is? It's when you get something you don't deserve. You know what mercy is? When you don't get something you deserve. Maybe you didn't get any of that. But I want you to understand what this is. Justice is when we look at somebody and we say, that person did something wrong, they deserve a punishment. That's justice. It's getting what you deserve. Are you guys with me? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. And so grace looks like you not working a day in, in, in the whole day in the sun, not working at all, not doing anything for your boss, and your boss coming up and saying, I'm gonna pay you your whole day of wages. You know what that is? That is called grace. He has given something that you don't deserve. Are you guys with me? But now mercy is interesting. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. What do you mean, I don't get what I deserve? See, mercy looks like this. Your child, you told him, don't play with the ball in the house. Any parents here? You said, don't play with the ball in the house. Don't play with the ball in the house. Don't play with the ball in the house. This is a true story. I, I've gone through this, so I can tell you. But I wasn't a parent. I was a kid. And, 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 and they said, don't play with the ball in the house. And then they get to a point where the parents say, if you play with the ball in the house, you're going to go to time out. You're going to be grounded for the rest of the day. And what happens, guys? kid plays with the ball in the house. And while he's playing with the ball in the house, he breaks a vase. And now he's thinking, my dad is going to kill me. He told me that I was going to be grounded. I'm going to be grounded for the whole day. My day is over. My dad's going to be fuming. You know what mercy is? Mercy is the father coming home and the child knowing he deserves punishment, knowing he deserves to be grounded. Knowing he did what he should and he broke what he shouldn't have broke. But you know what mercy is? Mercy is the dad coming and saying, you deserve to be punished. You deserve to be grounded. I told you already, you did what you were not supposed to. You deserve a consequence. But by my mercy today, you're not going to get what you deserve. Everybody with me this morning at church. So justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. What does this have to do with us? And what does this have to do with devotion to God? I, I want to increase our devotion to God this morning by reminding us that God is just. 
He is graceful and he is merciful. And that every day we need to wake up understanding that he is just, graceful, and merciful. And that that would lead us into a greater devotion. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1. Come on, real quickly jump over there for the sake of time so we can keep on moving on. All right, Ephesians 2, 1. It's one of the hardest passages for you to read, but let's do it. Bible says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is not for your neighbor, by the way, it's for you. Once you who are listening, once I, Ray, was dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You used to obey the devil and what he wanted for your life. All of us used to live that way. We just followed passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. God is angry, just like the parent who said to his kid, don't play with the ball, otherwise you are going to break something. And God says, don't play with people's heart, otherwise you're going to break the heart. Don't play with fire, otherwise you're going to make a mistake. Don't play with sin, otherwise it's going to wreck your life. And we do it anyways, and so the same way that a parent is angry at his child, God is angry at us. Why? Because, pay attention, we have sinned against his nature, just like everyone else. So this is it's not an easy passage. But let's go to verse 4 now. I love these two words. Everybody say these two words. Everybody say, but God. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God. But God. Whenever you say but God, it's always going to be good. All right? It's always going to be good. But God is so rich in mercy. Everybody say mercy. mercy. Remember the principle of mercy. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much. That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. But God is so rich in mercy. He's so rich in looking at you and not just giving you what you deserve, which was anger, wrath, which was consequences. He doesn't want to give that to you. He loves you so much that he wants to extend mercy over your life. He says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Let's look at verse 5. Tell you in this room, if you've made mistakes, 
If you had bad luck, if you've done things that you regret, if you've done things that, that, that even this week, even this month, even these past weeks and these past months, that even this past year, I want to tell you something. God is rich in mercy and grace for your life, and he wants to bless you even when you are distant. If you are hearing this message for the first time, I hope that it is good news to your ears that God is not holding your sins against you, but he is merciful. And as a church, we are devoted to God because of his extravagant grace and mercy upon our lives. Move on to the second D that we have. Second D, first D is devoted to God. We live devoted to God. The second D would be that we live in devotion to the brotherhood. So the church, pay attention, the church is about us being devoted first and primarily to God. We gather together under one name and under one banner, and that's the banner of Jesus Christ, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. That is the reason why we are gathering. But I want to tell you, the second purpose that the church exists for is for the brotherhood. I want you to understand what this means. What is the brotherhood? The brotherhood is, is simply a name that means the connection of brothers and sisters, and brotherhood and sisterhood, that, that creates a circle of connection between those who are Christ's followers. The Bible says it like this. We are devoted to disciples. Everyone in this room with me, you are called to be a disciple, and the church exists to be about us connecting to Christ's disciples. It's about us being connected to one another, investing in one another, loving one another, investing in and trusting and pouring out. We are devoted to the brotherhood. You know, I think about it. I was preparing this message, and I was thinking about that. You know, how many of you guys have ever seen a TV show? It's called The Chosen. Anybody ever watch The Chosen? The Chosen is a, it's a small TV show that's based around the story of Jesus. And one of the things that I think it best portrays is the relationship between Matthew, the tax collector, and Peter, the fisherman. And what's incredible about this juxtaposition of characters is that in scriptures, it would most likely be exactly how the show, the show portrays it. How does the show portray these two? Well, Matthew is a tax collector. That means he literally lives to take money away, not in the same way as the IRS. The IRS is bad, but, but, think, about, but, but think about this IRS times 10, okay? And, the, and literally, Matthew lives to take money from Jews and to give it to Romans. And he's literally betraying his own people because he himself is a Jew. And so he's, he's despised by his people. And then you have Peter, who is this, this guy who says what's on his mind. He's rough and tumble. He doesn't care. He's kind of like just out there. He's the one who talks first. He's probably an extrovert. He's just the one who's always out there saying things. And, and you have Peter and you have Matthew. And, and these guys in the show, I think it's beautiful because they're always at each other's necks. They're always fighting with one another. Now, when we think about Jesus' 12 disciples, we think everything was perfect. We think outside of Judas, everybody was, was copacetic. Everybody was, was nice. Everybody flowed. We think about, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John walking, you know, shoulder to shoulder, casting out demons, healing the sick, doing these things. We never stop to think about that these guys had real problems. We never stop to think about that Matthew and Peter, they actually butted heads. We never stop to think about that the Bible mentions that, that Paul later on is sitting at a table and Peter's acting fake and Paul calls out Peter for acting fake. And we never
never talk about that. We never talk about how Paul has a, a ministry partner. Pay attention. A ministry partner, Barnabas. They, they've done missions together. They're planning churches together. And they get to such a conflict with one another that they say, you know what? I think it's time that you go your way and I go my way. We never talk about this. We, we, we practice the Bible as something perfect, but I want to tell you something. We need to be devoted to the brotherhood, but the brotherhood doesn't always look perfect. It doesn't always look like everybody flowing and singing yadiga and, and jumping and being in a, I don't even know. It doesn't look like that always. The brotherhood sometimes looks like conflict. The brother, brotherhood sometimes looks like, like, like things changing and transforming. You know, in the Bible, there are many different names for, for us, the church. You know, in the Bible, the Jesus, uh, the apostles, they call the church the building. And they say, we are living stones being built up into a building. And so it uses a metaphor, and it says, I'm a rock, you're a rock, and we're being shaped, and we're being placed on top of one another, and together we're going to make a beautiful building. Another, another term, um, as, as our beloved uh, Natu uh, sings, that the Bible consistently calls us the bride of Christ. It, it calls us the bride of Christ. What is the bride of Christ? It, it says, the church is a beautiful bride. And it's getting put on makeup. It's getting its hair done. How many of you guys, bride, how many brides remember your wedding day? You're, you're putting on makeup. You're getting your hair done. It's so beautiful. It's so elegant. It's so nice. That is what the church, the, the, the Bible calls us. It calls us the bride. But you know what my favorite name for the church is in scripture? My favorite name for the church is that the Bible calls us the body of Christ. You know why I like the body of Christ? You know why I like that expression? Because the body is something that's consistently changing and transforming. You know what I love about the body? Is that the body is always growing. You know what I love about the body? Is that the body depends on one another to expand. That the body is completely different, completely opposite to one another. But the body is flowing and growing and meshing together. That we need the body of Christ. Are you guys with me? We're the body. You know, in the capital C sense, we need different people. You know, the capital C church, it's, it's, it's like ice cream. You have a bunch of different flavors. And you can eat a bunch of different flavors. And you got this flavor over here, and you got this flavor over here, and you got this flavor over here. And guess what? It's all ice cream. You know what? You choose which ice cream that you like within the Capital C Church. Are you guys with me? You choose the flavor that God puts before you. But here's, here's what happens in the lowercase c sense. We as the church, everybody pay attention. We as a church are called to be a brotherhood. And in a brotherhood, we are going to have conflicts. We are going to have battles. We are going to have challenges. But here's the greatest challenge. To remain even through the challenges that you have with one another. Amen. We're constantly changing. I want to tell you something. Um, we are called to be growing and developing and maturing. You know, we have a beautiful history. We have a beautiful story so far, our church. We've had incredible moments where we've encountered God. 
We've had incredible moments where we've seen nothing short of, of, of a revival happening among us. We have beautiful stories of people gathering together who are married to the state. We have beautiful stories of people coming off problems and addictions and homes. We have beautiful stories to tell. We have incredible moments that we can share, things that blew our expectations, things that blew what we could ever imagine that God could do. We have a, a beautiful story, but here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to get, and I think this is really important, that even though we have a beautiful past, we need to be more committed to our future than to our past. Yeah. And even though we have a beautiful story thus far, God is calling us to write an even more beautiful story ahead of us. And even though we have some wonderful things that have happened, all those things, amazing, incredible, testify, but that God is yet to still move in this place. And at the best days, truly are ahead of us, church. Are you guys with me? You need to be more committed to the future than you are to the past. You need to grow. You know, I love the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, when he writes in here, he, he, he writes something so interesting. He writes something so helpful. He's teaching us. He's saying, you are the church that is being built up. In another passage, Paul says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. He's not talking about living a life worthy of your salvation. Because we can never live a life worthy of our salvation. He's saying, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of what you have been called to do. Of what you have been called to do in your life. Every single one of us in this room are part of this body that is growing together. And you have a call. You have a purpose. You have a burden. We just came up with a series talking about what's your burden. What have you been created for? What have you been designed for? And each one of us has a role to play in building the body of Christ. Christ, individually and collectively. My question is this, are you leading a life worthy of your call? Are you leading a life that's worthy, it's, it's something that's beautiful, it's something that you feel that you are actually working towards something. Let me tell you something, it's not about your pedigree, it's not about what happened, it's I'm talking about are you living a life worthy of your mission? I think that's a beautiful challenge for us, and I think we need to stop and, and just analyze, am I living worthy of what I've been called to do? Turn to the person next to you and say, are you living worthy of what you've been called to do? We can call up the worship team already. I'm going to be closing. I'm not going to get to the third theme this weekend. But come back next weekend and I'll close. You know, the Bible, it tells us something beautiful. Paul says this. Paul says, make every effort. Everybody say every effort. But Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of Spirit through the bond of peace. I want to tell you something right now. As a church, as a body, we must fight for the brotherhood. And you know what that means? That means that we fight to keep unity in our family. That we are not the ones breaking apart the family, but we are the ones fighting for unity within our families, fighting for us to grow together, fighting for us to, to walk together in unity in life, for us to fight together and walk together. The Lord is calling us to be in unity together. The Lord desires for us to be a body, a beautiful body 
that reflects the goodness of Christ, a beautiful body that reflects what Jesus has. He desires for us to fight for the brotherhood. He desires for us to fight what he has put before us. He desires for us to grow with one another, instill one another. You know, when you get into the scriptures, the Bible is so incredible. The Bible talks about um, this very passage of Ephesians later on in verse 11. It talks about how Christ has given different people different callings within the Bible. And he says this, he says, to some I've called apostles, to some I've called prophets, to some I've called teachers, to some I've called pastors. And he says, I've given you this ministry, to some I've called evangelists. And, and he says, look, go back to verse 11 for me. He says, look, these are the gifts that I've given into the church. You know, apostles are the ones who oversee churches. Apostles are the ones who, who plant many churches and who oversee many churches, structure many things. Prophets are the ones who, who help bring clarity from the word of God into heaven, who bring the word of heaven, the word of scripture into the earth. Evangelists are the ones who go out and boldly proclaim the gospel that is inside of them. And then it says, and then it gives us pastors and teachers. Hey, pastors, that's me. Um, and, and then it gives us teachers. But why, why does he give these gifts? Verse 12. Why does he give this, these gifts? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. I want you to focus on this real quick. Their responsibility is to do what? Is to equip the people. To build them up. To build them up. The responsibility of the church, the responsibility of all of our giftings, guys, all of our giftings, pay attention, all of our gifts are to build one another up in the body of Christ. All of our gifting is to do what, guys? It's to help one another to go beyond their limitations. All of, of our giftings, guys, is for us to be able to expand, to go further, to see God being made manifest in the details of our life. This is what God is calling us to equip one another, to support one another through preaching, through teaching, to growing, to, to preserving unity, to to become united. And it says this, that we would become united until we reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That we would become so united that we would no longer be infants tossed to and forth by the waves. You know what that looks like? How many of you guys have ever met somebody who is tossed to and forth like waves? Somebody who, in one day, everything is great. Another day, everything is horrible. In one day, they're so motivated and so encouraged. Everything is going lost. One day, they're so discouraged and down. You know, that's this person who's tossed like the waves. Comes and goes. Comes and goes. But the Bible here, it says something really powerful. It says that we would reach a level in Christ where we would no longer be like the waves tossed. I don't know about you, but I want to reach that place one day where I'm not tossed by every wave of circumstance. Have you ever met somebody like that where things are looking chaotic around you? Things are looking wild and crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. Everything around them looks crazy. And you ask them, hey, how's it going? 
you're expecting them to say, Torah. And they turn to you and they say, everything's going great. Today's a great day. Today's an incredible day. God is going to do something amazing today. You know, it's challenging, but I'm so happy because God is faithful. And we're going to see things, God. Where, where you look at something so small and insignificant, you think, yeah, it's whatever. And they look at that same thing and they say, wow, this is incredible. This is so wonderful. This is so great. And what it does is it inspires joy. It inspires passion. It inspires growth. The Bible is saying this, that we are called to reach that level of faith where as a body, we are encouraging one another. That as a body, we encourage each other. We build each other up. We encourage each other. And let me tell you something. You could be sitting down saying, man, that sounds awesome. I hope somebody does that to me. But I want to tell you something. If you're hearing this message and it's tugging at your heartstrings, it's not about you waiting for somebody to do that to you. It's about you starting and making the decision to do that yourself. That's the problem. We want everybody else to make the changes. But we're not willing to go forth and make the changes ourselves. We did a whole series, Change Your World in 52 Days. Somebody has to do something about this. It might as well be me. Somebody has to change the culture in this house. It might as well be me. Somebody has to change the culture in my home. It might as well be me. Somebody needs to shift this atmosphere from sad to joy. It might as well be me. Somebody needs to be consistent in the middle of the storm. It might as well be me. Somebody needs to change my family. It might as well be me. Somebody needs to go to church. Somebody needs to receive something from God. Somebody needs to prophesy. Somebody needs to stir this atmosphere. It might as well be me. waiting for you. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro on the earth looking for one. He's just looking for one. He's just looking for somebody to put themselves in the divide. He's just looking for somebody to say, God, I devote my life to you and I devote my life to my brothers and my sisters and to building your church on earth. Listen, you put your trust, some put their trust in horses, other put their their trust in chariots. My, my translation is some put their trust in politics, others put their trust in governments, but I put my trust in Jesus Christ. We want to see things happen. We want to see things be shifted. We want to see lives be fixed. It's not going to start at just simply a political level. It's going to start inside of our homes. Amen. Look at the tragedies around us that befall us. And we can talk about all the nuances and the details and argue and, and, and come to some and I think that is worth doing. But let me tell you something. A father that is present in a home would have changed many of these circumstances. A mother present in a home, loving and caring, teaching in the ways of the Lord would have changed many of these circumstances. It starts with us. You're hoping that a government will save you. I want to tell you something. Only Christ can save us. It starts with us. You want to see an awakening. You want to see a, a, a thing shift. It starts with us. You're tired of poverty. You're tired of suffering. Go out and make a change. Start at a small level. Work your way up. You're tired of seeing people lost and hurt and broken. Start being the hope that people need in your life. Look what it says. It says we are going to move forward. And I want to tell you something. Some people, they're, they're too important. That's why they have 30 jobs in two years. That's why they're always here and there. That's why they want to shift churches every two years, every one year. 
That's why they think, oh, I'm, I'm here at this church for, for just a few more moments, and then I'm at a next church for another moment. That's why we do this, because a lot of times we're doing this. That's why people, many times, they don't even understand. They're, 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 they're moving from place to place, state to state. They're moving all around. They're looking for purpose. But here's what I want to tell you something. Here's what I want to tell you something. People think every time I face an obstacle, this is not God's will. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Resistance is a clear indication that you're heading in the right direction. I want to tell you something. It's called headwind. And you're going to face headwind. You're going to face challenges. You're going to face resistance. I want to tell you right now, there's a work that we must do. There is an assignment. There is something specific. Listen, stop planning one, two, three years. Uh, stop, stop planning saying, I'm going to invest for one, two, three years. I'm going to see something happen in one, two, three years. I'm going to be at this church committed to one, two, three years, and I'm, we're going to see something happen. No, start planning your life. Start planning your family. Start planning everything around you. Start saying, I'm going to invest five, six, seven years. I'm going to fulfill a cycle. I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go and move. I'm going to see things happen in my life. Commit to seeing things happen in your life. Commit to respond. Commit to just these two deeds, just for this morning. Two deeds. Commit to these two deeds. Say, God, I will be devoted to you. Because, God, I am deserving of all type of wrath, punishment, and consequence. But your mercy every morning reminds me that you have not given up on me. You not only are not punishing me, but, God, you have given me a name and a calling. I am your holy people. I am your chosen nation. I am somebody who we do have called. Lord, thank you. Jesus, I'm going to devote my life to you. Every waking moment, every breath of my lungs, every second is devoted to you, Jesus. And then say, Lord Jesus, I devote myself to the brotherhood. I devote myself to being part of the body. Being part of the body isn't just about myself. It's not about me just showing up, receiving a message, feeling encouraged. Listen, I'm not a coach. I'm not here to coach you. I'm not here to encourage you. I'm not here to simply hopefully I can encourage you somewhere along the way. That is not my main goal. My main goal is to equip the body of Christ, to build the body of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. You are called to equip the body of Christ. That you would be devoted, even with the challenges, even when you're Matthew, and you're looking. Christianity. And I've heard a lot of things about it. 
And my whole life, I thought it was about going to the service. My whole life, I thought it was about just singing worship songs and praying more and doing things. But now, I understand. This is meant to be a lifetime commitment. This is meant to be a body and a family. This is meant to be a community. And our goal as a community is meant to worship Jesus together. It's meant to help one another. We're not here simply because, guys, we want to be well-known. We want to be a big, famous church. We want a really well-known worship team. We want a really big building full of people. No, we're here because this is the purpose of Jesus for our lives. We're here because church is family. We're here because this is the body. We're here because this is what we were designed for. And when we're here, we feel like we're doing what we were created to be doing. We're devoted to Christ. We're devoted to one another. We're devoted to life. It's not always easy, but it is always worth it.